you know, the off season, especially if you're dealing with football, is a huge aspect. January all the way up till August. If in that time you're doing nothing because that's what the sports coaches handle when they start in August, then you're just missing a huge aspect of development because guys can get so much better at the perception stuff, the agility based stuff, and just making them better prepared to play their sport come August. And then yeah, you turn it over to the coach and in the off se- or in season, we're just trying to fill up those buckets that the sport coaches mm-hmm. aren't. Um, but in the off season, we're trying to make people better at their sport. Um, so what we're trying to overload is the things as close to the sport as possible, especially as we get closer to those things. So we'll start very general and then progress towards more game like scenarios. But our goal is always to prepare people to be better at their sport. That was sports performance coach Nick DeMarco speaking on the integration of perception and reaction agility training into a high-performance yearly model. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, Gym Aware, KBox, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The KBox and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 152 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today. And on the show for this episode, we have Nick DeMarco. He is the director of sports performance at Elon University. Uh, you'll notice a trend in this show is I'm always I'm always seeking to find people who are on that that fringe of the field in terms of, of finding new and different ways to integrate things that transfer highly to sports performance. And if you listen to this episode as well, there's a talk of are we strength coaches? Are we physical preparation coaches, sports performance? Um, on the coattails of the last episode with Mike Wodango, um, sports performance coach is the one is probably the tagline that deals the most closely with uh, the pursuit of finding high transfer things in your program. Um, the world of perception and reaction in many ways is probably the closest that a coach, a sports performance coach or strength coach, uh, will get to what's happening in sport outside of sport itself, outside of the exact implements itself. Um, obviously, uh, obviously general, general physical preparation means are important, important component of the job. But at the end of the day, uh, talk to any seasoned coach, and that's a pretty simple and established area. And there's a lot of hair splitting beyond that, as uh, Mike went into last week. So for this show, uh, Nick, Nick's background. Well, first off, Nick was, uh, DeMarco was recommended to me by Cameron Joss, 
uh, who's been on the show a couple times, works at DeFranco's and is a, one of the youngest, brightest strength coaches in the field. Uh, Nick, Mar- Nick DeMarco, also a young, bright strength coach. And uh, Cameron had told me that Nick was just incredible at the integration of uh, perception, reaction, agility, and high performance into uh, a high-performance training model. Basically, this ultimate synergy between the strength staff and the sports staff. How do we how do we make that glove fit better in the grand scheme of things? And I also think that this there's this trend of like how are we evolving as a field? Are we are we going to stay hyper zoomed in on velocity based training, or are we going to look um, up that Bondarchuk pyramid um, away from the GPP and more looking and, and thinking about what's going on in those SP and SDE realms, those higher transfer buckets? those things that make a little bit more of an impact of how an athlete operates on the field. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm super, I, I just really enjoy these conversations. Nick has a really cool system of how he and his sports staff has classified different types of perception reaction based work, uh, which I think when you, if you're getting into it, it has infinite possibilities. Like Nick will say, it can be a very confusing initial venture. Um, James Smith talked about a little bit of his categorization system, James of the U S strength. And I think that's really cool. And then Nick is going to give his take. So I think as we learn about this system and this whole field, and uh, as Nick mentioned, this this highly, it's like an off-season weapon of sorts. Uh, we The more we learn about it, I think the better we can become at it in being able to serve our athletes and give them tools to be better in their actual, in the actual sport decisions they have to make um, and be better in context of the decisions they are making. A little bit more about Nick as well. So he's the director of sports performance at Elon. He is uh, a former professional athlete having a stint with the New York Jets and Baltimore Ravens as an outside linebacker for a year. He has a great athletic intuition that has led him to his training methods, but as well as being a great intuitive athlete and now coach, he also is uh, on track to finish his PhD in health and human performance at Concordia University in Chicago by early 2020. So really a guy who is embracing both ends of the spectrum. So for today's episode, we get in yet again to the topic of perception and reaction. We're going to talk about Nick's background in that work, what led him to that type of agility training for athletes. He's going to get into his categorizations and his buckets. We're going to have a discussion on the hard skill versus soft skill aspect. Basically, the argument of what is proper technique in agility, if that exists, is that something we need to train uh, train before we do more advanced re- reactive work and how that all fits into the model. Uh, we're going to talk about how he's trying to overload the perception reaction space when the athletes may not be getting that in sports-specific practice, how it fits in the grand scheme of coaching. And we're going to talk uh, what very importantly about ideas on assessing the results of all this stuff because it can be very esoteric. And so to the ability to have some sort of tracking because we want to track what matters and uh, it's cool to jump higher and, and to lift more weight, but it's also really cool. Probably if you're playing a team sport athlete, probably more cool to make plays on the field more often and, and uh, of a higher quality. So we, those are, so those are the topics today. Overall, just a great chat with a really smart coach in Nick DeMarco. So let's get on to the show. So Nick, man, it's great having you today from, um, could you actually, I know you told me earlier, but could you tell everyone else exactly where Elon is? Cause I had definitely had to ask you. <laughs> Absolutely. No one really knows where it is. So uh, Elon, North Carolina, like Burlington kind of wraps around it. That's where I live. But it's basically in like the triad of North Carolina. So there's um, like Winston-Salem where Wake Forest is. You have Duke and North Carolina all within like 45 minutes of us. 
Yeah, I was going to say basketball tickets have got to be like, like, you know, there's got to be a few crickets. I feel like if North Carolina and Duke are both, well, I mean, it's expensive to go to those games, right? But the yeah. overshadowing effect has got to be massive. <laughs> and we have a brand new basketball facility that's fantastic. Um, and the only game that was really filled up for was when we played North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the tickets probably weren't quite as expensive as that uh, North Carolina Duke no. game. though. <laughs> That was unbelievable, man. Um, but, uh, well, hey, uh, so I'm super stoked to have you. I just, I love digging into this world of uh, perception and reaction. And maybe part of it's because I live vicariously a little bit because my, I work more in individual sports. Uh, and and I just like hearing what, how the coaching field is getting progressive like that. Uh, but what, what piqued your interest in the world of, of perception and reaction style training as opposed to canned, the canned agility training work? Um, I think just my background as a player, like when I was an athlete and I went to college, I was like 190 pounds safety, um, moved to linebackers. I gained some weight and then eventually played the end and I got progressively, well, not even progressively. I probably got worse as I moved to linebacker. Um, and I was great at, you know, all of the weightlifting stuff, all of the change of direction. Like I can have a good pro agility, amazing three cone. And I get on the field and I just can't react to a single thing that takes place. Um, versus as soon as I played the end, um, which, you know, in football, I really think the roles kind of reverse on the lineman positions. Like the offensive lineman is basically a defender and the defensive lineman's more of an offensive attacking type position. Um, and the less elements of reaction that I had, the better that I was. Um, and I don't feel like I ever did anything really to make me just a better reactor could have, to where I could have stayed a linebacker. Um, same thing, like, you know, working with, um, as an assistant strength coach with football only, we had a ton of guys who were great pro agility. You know, I, I would call it a five ten five cause it involves no agility. Um, and then <laughs> the, the three cone drill guys, they're just fantastic at that. And then they get on the field and they're just terrible football players. Like they can't tackle anybody. They can't react. It's like, we're just kind of banging our heads training this change of direction work when that's not what takes place on the field yeah no i i um yeah the the intuition element of it all is something that i always think of a lot like i all these ideas where i feel like all these ideas that it, it runs counter to i guess what's what's commonly accepted it always starts i feel like on the level of the disgruntled athlete or the athlete who's trying really hard to figure it out or <laughs> who didn't just accept everything that was thrown at them and yeah and uh, I, I just think it's um, I think it's an element of, of movement that is uh, I think it also just allows for a tremendous I'm sure we could talk about this at length forever, but uh, it also allows for tremendous uh, creativity and integration and discussions um, on the level of the sports skill itself. And I know that you are um, you have a really um, the way that you um, uh, categorize each uh, of, of your perception reaction elements. Uh, you, we've talked about that a little bit before. So could you get into uh, how have you kind of taken that system? So from your time as an athlete to determining that this was important to having um, a, a system of categorization, could you take me into that and kind of the nuts and bolts of that? Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of just learned to, like, like you said, it was through intuition that I was interested in, like, there's got to be a better way to do things, but I wasn't really a creative enough person to be like, oh, here's what needs to happen. But like Michael's Weifel or Corey Van Wyk, um, who Michael's wife was like BBA um, on Instagram and Twitter, they put out so many like great drills and that kind of like spiraled me down it a little bit quicker and just having conversations with Corey. Um, and 
just kind of diving into it, but I, you know, Sean Miska is a huge guy who's had a ton of influence on their kind of thoughts, but everything he says is just so complex. And for us, it was kind of coming up with very simple categories, like what happens in sport and how do we make this very simple to implement with, you know, if we're training a football team, a hundred athletes and make it individualized at the same time. Um, and so it all kind of started there. Um, but like Corey Van Wyk, he put out a great thing like just last week of why not to do kind of canned cone drills versus why to do some agility work. And it was basically like a gas meter almost. And it was like random chaos in the middle and predictable. And like sport is not predictable by any means, but it's not just purely random either. It's, uh, it's chaotic. Um, and having drills that kind of match that. Um, and so it gets into the, the perception action, action coupling or like the OODA loop, whatever you want to call it. But it's basically the brain doesn't specify the behavior. The environment specifies the behavior. So it's not like, oh, run five yards and bang a right turn. Um, and even if you're a wide receiver, which is probably the most predictive element, the defender is still going to change the way that he defends you. And so it's, Oh, I have to release outside. Well, how are you going to get there? And how are you going to get to five yards where you can turn right? Um, mm-hmm. So there's always a reactive element to it basically. Um, so for us, it was Jordan Newsma, one of our staff members, and then my entire staff. So um, Cameron Ring said, Brandon Robinson, and at that time, Jake Niederman and John Waters, we all just kind of sat down like, Hey, what are our categories? And we spent like, probably a full week just coming up with all of our categories, all of our drills for agility based stuff. And we just try to boil it down as simple as possible of what are you trying to do? in basically any field sport, you're either trying to evade a defender or stay in front of an offensive guy and trying to score or not let them score. Um, so our categories are, we have a mirror category. We have a dodge category, which is kind of our smallest one. That's more for our offensive skill guys. Um, and then we have a chaser category and a score category. And so within each one of those, we just have a huge list and the way that we'll vary them, um, or progress them is through, you can change the start position. You can change the size of the area. You can add an entry to the drill. You can add an exit to the drill. You could add any, all of those combined, obviously. Um, you could add some sort of obstruction to the drill that they have to navigate around, you can change the rules or the information to the drill, or you can just add people to it. And you could vary every single one of those categories in each of those drills. So the options are really limitless. It's just, I think for myself, coming up with like a set category has actually allowed me to be a little bit more creative versus when you're starting from scratch, you're like, wow, how do I get creative when I don't even know or understand really kind of what I'm going for? Yeah, no, I, I totally, um, yeah, I totally can see how the, it's almost like the barometer too, like how, how open and how closed to, and then how, what are we trying to train to the, the fact that you've put the into general categories, I think is really helpful, especially people like just getting started too, like who are just like, well, what do I, and if you're, you know, if you're a, if you're a strength coach, you can't like, you know, there's certain sport practice elements that you can't have in the weight room or whatever as per the NCAA too. So it's like, you have to, you have to be really, um, you know, creative and deliberate and methodical with it all. But I I really like that. And so one of the things too, is you mentioned the barometer with Corey Van Wick and I'll have to go look that up because I think that is really interesting. I I, I also was going to say too, what's your take on 
and obviously you work with collegiate athletes. I'm sure this may change a little bit depending on populations, but this idea of like, hard, I know Jeff Moyer has mentioned it, like hard, sil- hard skills and soft skills or like the ability to yep. do something ba- like a ba- on a basic level or like, what do you say, riding a bike down a, a smooth path versus when you make it rocky. Um, and so is there any sort of like checkoffs or movement quality checkoffs that you guys tend to have or do or any ways that, is there ever any time where just a basic uh, cut is coached versus versus free flowing or how do you guys roll with that? So even our like well most like a dynamic warm up for us is very providing autonomy, letting them be creative, um, a lot of like perception action elements to it. Um, right before we go into our agility stuff, we will do some change of direction. Um, but we'll usually add a reactive element. So even if it's just you and I facing each other and, hey, we're going to do a push to move step or a crossover step, bucket step, which will teach them how to perform those. But we're not going to spend a ton of time on it. It's not going to be like, hey, you have to take a crossover step. It's the most efficient thing ever. In reality, it's whatever works better for the athlete to move mm-hmm. faster is what we let them. They can pick their kind of movement solution. Um, but we'll do like and just for checks and balances of going five yards to your right and stopping an athletic position, go five yards to your left. It kind of allows us to at least prescribe a certain level of volume to each side to where it's not incredibly asymmetrical. Cause as soon as you get into more agility based games and stuff, it is chaotic to an extent. So you don't really have an idea of how much work they're doing on each side. Um, but we don't have like a progression of, you have to be able to do change of direction very well before you go to agility we kind of progress the two in a completely separate fashion so we'll progress our change of direction work following our performance prep we'll do you know say four to eight reps of some what would look like more closed drills to kind of prep for our agility stuff Um, and we'll progress those things and make the cuts more demanding or um, the stops and starts more demanding and then our agility will do the same thing. We'll progress that from like a one-on-one mirror dodge in a five-yard space to a three-on-three mirror dodge where you're reacting and sorting through chaos in a 10-yard space with an exit. Um, so it's it's very easy to progress those things. And I do believe in the soft skills, hard skills. I just don't think that a great change of direction correlates to great agility like i just don't think the skills necessarily carry over because you don't hit the same positions just because you're reacting to a different stimulus yeah i i agree with you on that one i the only land sport that i train regularly uh given my day job is is tennis and so i spend a lot of time watching those guys and every i mean you know you could do a medicine ball throw against the wall but everything changes if you're moving towards the ball and hitting it moving away from the ball and hitting it like you're it's all going to be fundamentally different depending on the context and the direction you're going and so then i'll also watch them hit and change direction and it's like it's almost like in my mind the biggest thing that i just see that the good movers do that the the less good or the bad i guess movers tend not to do is that like the switch the I think Jonas Dude calls it the switch, or the you know, Chris Corvus calls it the boom boom, or basically Daring Bar calls it uh, remove replace. So just that that action in the change of direction is what the better guys can do. So I'm like, well, you know, I you, there's so many possibilities that you are doing in your sport. So I just want you to be good at at the switching, and hopefully it can carry its way over. You know, like that's more my mentality. I think maybe it sounds similar to what you're doing a little bit because sport is so chaotic. 
And, mm-hmm. and it's like, we also have college level athletes where, I don't know, maybe, maybe a younger, younger athletes might struggle more with soft skills. I feel like to get to, to get to university level, you probably have to have a pretty decent level of, of that skill to at least be able to get to where you're at. Yeah. And, and there's no doubt, there's definitely people who are really bad at change of direction. And are they like a liability on the field if they don't fix those things to an extent? Yes. Um, but at the same point in time, they need to get better at agility too, because that's what they're asked to do on the field. So you have to at least prepare them for what they're going to do in the game too. Can't just be like, well, until he can do change of direction efficiently, he's not going to do any agility (laughs) work because the sport coach isn't going to hold him out of practice until until he can do change. direction. No practice for six months for you. (laughs) And and it's also our, like, you know, our notion of what optimal is because even in going through, you know, the track and field world that I've been in for about over 20, well, as an athlete and coach over 20 years, which still I feel like is, is not truly a seasoned expert. But what I, what I, what I thought was, was right for say, just say sprint and acceleration for about three quarters of that I've overhauled and I, and I don't agree with that anymore. And so it's almost like, I almost feel like in some level, what I've realized on many ways is the subconscious mind is really, really smart. Um, and I'm just starting to get down the rabbit hole, like the Feldenkrais books and, yeah. and that, that, I mean, it's just crazy. Right. And just, you look at how animals move and all these things in their environment. And I, I definitely lean towards my, my natural inclination is definitely in leaning towards letting the athlete problem solve whenever humanly possible versus telling them specifically how to do something um even if i'm just coaching someone for linear speed i try not to give concrete cues whenever possible like just to create an environment where you can solve the problem i know what i want to see in this linear space where there is no problem solving for the most part the only problem you need to solve is beating the guy next to you or girl um but even in that point i'll still I still don't want, want to give as few like actual concrete do this as, as I possibly can. Well, yeah, like even I, it's in your book, if I'm not mistaken, the like 90 degree arm action or, you know, everyone has these like perfect cues. And I think between you and like Kierwin and Flat Rugby Strength Coach, I've seen like these pictures of like, oh, somebody, somebody better coach this Olympic athlete. Like he's in a terrible position, yet they're running world class speeds like. Yeah, <laughs> you can't overcorrect everything that takes place, and there is no like real cookie cutter approach to these like very complex problems. Yeah, I I agree, and and it's funny like even Matthew Matthew Bowen, the the sprinter from Texas who ran like a windy nine ninety eight and and like ten yeah. one, and you got all these people hopping on the the message boards or the the Instagram like, oh, if he just fixed this, he would. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, go away. Like stop like stop. <laughs> it's like human beings pick the most efficient movement skill for them at that time. So like yeah, maybe you know if like uh Charlie Francis stuff where he talks about like the hips dropping on each time, like maybe if you strengthen the hip complex, he wouldn't have that issue. But he's not choosing that those mechanics for no reason. Like he's choosing them because it's efficient for him for some reason. Yeah, I also think that there's the barometer of even if there is things that definitely maybe concretely need to be improved, how we go about doing that, like just in, in being in the swimming and track and individual sport world for a while, those athletes who are, you, you, you know, when you see them, those, those people who are just so like over drilled when they were uh, younger, like everything's like this perfect a skip with this perfect arm action. And it's a position like it's get to this position, get to this position. And you can see like, they're really focusing on it. 
those guys and girls never end up hitting their true performance ceiling. Like it's just, it's just too, everything is too mechanical. It's too much too ideal. The body didn't get to self-organize like it really truly knew it could, or, or, you know, our subconscious mind, which knew the optimal solution over time. And so, yeah, I'm always just curious of the window. That's why I was, I, I like asking people that question because I, um, you know, I just feel like I'm still growing a lot in, in what my conceptions and notions are towards an optimal system in, in the, I guess the yeah, coach and, versus the uncoached. And like even the hard skills, soft skills or like Franz Bosch calls it like the attractors and fluctuators or whatever mm-hmm. he, uh, nomenclature he uses, but it's, you know, we will do some stuff like that. Like we'll do, you know, hurdle jumps, like jump over hurdle and catch and then go to, you know, you could do like the Mike Boyle bounce and then go truly reactive for really like rudiment level skills. And then I've done like variability, like land on a higher box to teach them pretension or things like that. Like a skips where they're doing like water bags and stuff like those are very easy things to go from a hard skill to a soft skill. When you're talking about like agility, I just don't see change of direction as the hard skill before the soft skill. I just think it's a completely separate quality almost. Yeah. And uh, Michael's wife actually had a post. It was probably a few months back. He had athletes like running forward and then reversing out at a 45. And then he did the exact same kind of movement, but it was reacting off another person and mm-hmm. they could flip at a reverse 45 in either direction. And he had like still pictures of the way that they changed direction on both of them. And they were completely different. Interesting. Just because it's, it's a drastically different movement when you add in a perceptual element versus, Hey, just go here and turn around. You're never going to use that same exact technique, no matter how ingrained it is in you when you're reacting to the environment versus a, a drill. Yeah. I, I really, that's awesome. I, my, my list for like show notes here is ever expanding. Well, and when, every time we talk this stuff, like it, if you're in the car listening to this, it's like, okay, I'm driving and I'm trying to focus on driving and listening, but I'm also trying to picture how this drill is going down in my head. Like, and what are the categories? It, it, it's, I mean, I'm going to have to post a lot of stuff, which is good. I mean, it's, it's a good reference and it's good for me as well to like get more ingrained in these ideas and these things. But I think that is, I mean, that has implications, I think, for absolutely everything we do. Even even stuff in the weight room to a level. Like, I, I use Olympic lifts. And I just, it's just funny. Sometimes I'll be, I'll be watching an athlete and if they're doing like a snatch and their, their catch position isn't very good. And I say something to them and it's a good athlete with like a shoulder mobility restriction. It's like they're just self-organizing to hit that the top the best they could you know like if i say something to them they're just they're gonna have to work they have to fundamentally work around their movement restrictions i think that's something that in in being in like the you know sport and jay Strader world a little bit it's almost, it's all about that seemed like it was all about just giving athletes more movement potential in which for the subconscious mind to then go use in sport and yeah and just freeing up movement potential and and letting them i guess be yourself if you will uh which i was talking about michael dango a little bit ago um so yeah, it's it's uh it's a cool world, and I'm I'm excited to go see that that one with Michael and them. I'm curious how it was different too. You know, like was there more like I would imagine like if you reverse and it's conscious, I think we tend to amplify movement more, like hit a, pos- a preconceived position, maybe greater yeah. arm amplitudes like, and things like that. I can picture the post somewhat, um, but I know like the one is like feet were like right underneath his hips. 
He had like a little bit more like of an open hip position, which is more, you know, on paper, you're, you're great change direction. But Mm -hmm. when you're reacting, I think he had like a little bit of a wider base and his hips weren't completely open. Um, And then maybe you take an extra like half step to kind of get your hips open and chase down. And yeah, that's something that you want to improve, but it's also a guy can go two ways. It's not as simple as I run in and I know exactly where I'm going. (laughs) Yeah, I, th- I think putting a person in front of you by nature, and this is something I've definitely learned from Adarian, just even in linear sprinting, and I look at like, and then I pay attention to it with how I play when I'm playing basketball myself, is my my steps are coming so much faster when I play a team sport underneath me versus any time, and I think even sprinting in general, we even just training the 40 or the 100 meters, we get carried away with as long as you can, as much force and as far as you can. But in reality, those steps got to come back. Like if you're just floating in the air with both feet in the air, like you're actually losing time where your foot could get back and be pushing you again. And in teams where you do that, you're done. Like, I mean, you, you could say in the hundred, oh, well, you, maybe I'll be better at the end of the race or something. And, you know, and, and there is, I know there is some research that you have a better 10 yard fly if you get a slow gradual lead in than a max one and, and things like that. And I get that. Um, but I, I will say this is I know for sure in team sport, if you're like doing some sort of like push as hard as far as you can and hitting a long position, you're, it's just, it's totally manufactured and it is not yeah. going to work. It, it's just unrealistic. And like, I, I think you've mentioned before as one of your podcasts I was listening to that like bounce was one of the books that you had read, which is like one of my favorite books ever. Um, and like Matt Saeed just talked about like how he's a world-class Olympian table tennis player, but then he was at like some like, forget it was like a charity event or something playing tennis and he was like oh like give me a real serve and he just didn't even move like it flew (laughs) by him and you would think of those skills like oh if he's good at table tennis he's probably good at tennis i mean it's just a bigger ball like those are at least closely related skills versus just because they look the same doesn't mean they're the same thing i think it's the same thing for change direction agility they look the same but they're completely different aspects yeah yeah i i love that story from bounce it was just because it's like you have to pick up something like in tennis like if i'm going to return 120 130 mile an hour surf like there's certain subtle cues that i have to pick up on almost before the ball even leaves that guy's racket yeah like he talked about it as like chunking like same thing for you know these elite baseball players they're hitting 102 104 mile per hour fastballs which shouldn't be possible like i would just sit there and it would be by me before i knew what happened um but they put together like in bounce he's talking about you know the angle and the the trajectory of the toss like they're able to kind of predict where the ball is going to go which is just so advanced compared to a novice who sees a 105 mile per hour serve and they just wear it to the face <laughs> yeah no i've 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 gone out with my tennis guys in the past and had them serve at me just to see if i could return one you know like i mean i played when i was growing up i wasn't good but just i just wanted to see if i could just return one and uh i think if i just got my racket on i'd be happy like i'd be like yes i got my racket on. uh but I, that's one of the things that i love about team sport too and being like a track coach and and working with people like you know who do track year round and and then they come work with you versus especially like working at d3 back when i worked at d3 and you'd have people who would roll off the basketball court and then start doing high jump and i remember in division three there was a guy who literally like he rolled off the basketball court i think the next week or two he may practice for a week and then won the division three national championship in high jump 
And it, and that's instinct-based training that he was doing. There was no coaching, no manufacturing of movement, <laughs> just pure jump. And I was like, I for when I'm eating lunch, I like watching like, I was watching like a 1988 Michael Jordan dunk contest just because I like to see how people put together. No one coaches him into those positions, you know? Like, no. <laughs> I just like to see how he creates movement for the outcome goal. Because I'm like, that's how I, in almost, it's like, that's almost how I invent plyometrics on some level. Like, okay, Michael Jordan did this, and then he, he, he allowed his foot to go here in this context. And like, okay, well, isn't that the standard now, like, for how we set up, you know, I mean, obviously not every jumps could be like that. You know, he does a particular dunk, but it's like, but the mechanism by how which he created, I think, is valuable. But he get you get that from just being creative and playing basketball and letting the body self-organize, not because a coach told you to do a box jump a particular way. There's plenty of guys who step in the weight room and they're those weight room type guys who can jump 38, 40 inches. And then you ask them to dunk a basketball and they just look like completely unathletic as soon as they're asked to move and coordinate with the ball in their hands. Yeah, that happened to me when I was like, um, actually, when I turned, um, when I stopped being a track coach, it will really happen throughout my late 20s. But I remember when I turned 29 and I really got on a full on like, it was almost a competitive program where I tried to squat and clean as much as I could. And we were measuring standing vertical increases too. And I got my standing vertical up to a pretty good place. Like, it, it, I mean, it was it was 31.5 on the vertex, which was okay. It might have been about tied with my best or maybe, I mean, not tied, but it was, it was up there with maybe my best I had done previously in my life within an inch. But I remember I, I went out to, and I wasn't playing basketball though. I wasn't really doing track work for about three months, four months. And then I go out to the court and some of the interns are dunking and I go up to dunk and I can't dunk like, and I'm like, what the hell? Like, and, and, and it's just because my body was just starting to move in just a pure closed chain bilateral. There was, there was zero like, and I've learned, and I've learned how to deconstruct and re-engineer a lot of this through working with a Darian, uh, but like. I, as to exactly why I deconstructed myself, I think it can be very simple. Just obviously just go play sports more and don't just live, you know, live in a, a drill based bilateral world <laughs> or that will happen to 100%. you. Uh, yeah. So, but you know, I, I totally, I forget where I was going. I was like, okay, balance. And then um, something to do with uh, man, I'm already, I'm already off track. I had something, something cool to talk about, but I, I, I like to, I do like talking about this stuff just because I think that, and any of the any of the youth athletes will say it too. We're overcoached, and we don't get to play enough. And even, but even I think like 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 what you're doing on your level, like there is still elements of it is still play, and you still are tapping into instinct. Like I just think athletes should be put in. It's like giving athletes a good environment in which to utilize instinct to make them better, more so than still overcoaching them at that point. Yeah, and like one of the things we do a ton of um, is play like we call it agility ball, and so. Say we start off like two on two, three on three, and we'll progress to more people and we'll change the size. And we have like game rules that are kind of taken from game changer, but we do it for conditioning purposes. And it's basically just ultimate Frisbee with a soccer ball. And so if you get tagged, you have to throw it. As soon as you catch it, you can run anywhere. You can always pass it backwards, but you're just trying to score. And it's amazing to just see the way that people move in a drill like that. And it's also fun they're creative versus like, Hey, get on the line. Let's run uh, six yard shuttles. You're going to get so much better intent and a lot more engagement out of guys. And it's probably a little bit more relative to what you're doing. Um, so it checks off a lot of high quality boxes, but it's just having fun and giving people autonomy and creativity is always valuable. 
Yeah, I, the longer I've been a coach, the longer I just kind of re- you you see how athletes react when they get to have fun and they get to it becomes a game, and you see how their movement quality changes, like like Michael was showing too in the in his uh, videos, and it's like. I think that's part of the art of coaching is noticing that like being able to instinctively see how an athlete moves and operates differently. Um, and I think we've obviously all seen that athlete too, who like that athlete who maybe is a little mentally, like mentally soft and maybe is dealing with an injury and you ask them to do like a sprint and it's kind of like, oh, I don't know, but then they like go play and it's fine. Like, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's like they're the normal selves. Like there's like those two, not like every athlete's like that, but there's those, there's those yeah, two brains at work. Stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to ask you, Nick, how do you, uh, so how do you integrate some of these? And maybe we can get a few practical examples too. Cause again, I like to, I, I love talking the, the spirit of it all, but, and I know it's hard to like, you know, get into drills specifically, but maybe take me through like an average, how does an average, um, like gym session, you guys will start with that type of work. Does it fit in with, yeah. Yeah. We always start on the field. Um, if we're doing this stuff. And so we operate off a pretty like straight up high, low structure that we've kind of done for, you know, more field sports. Um, so Monday's a low day where we're not doing anything besides a few, like we'd call them like kind of potentiation sprints for Tuesday being our biggest day. And so Tuesday we'll do some top speed work with our guys, our skill guys and, and semi guys specifically. And immediately after that, we'll go into our agility stuff and we'll spend probably like 20 to 30 minutes on agility work on that day and then follow it up or have within that 20 to 30 minutes that agility ball game as our conditioning piece on Tuesdays. Um, But within it, so like on Tuesdays, we'll do a mirror category and a chaser category. And then on Fridays, we'll do a mirror or chaser category and a score category. And within each one of those, we could have one drill or we could have a progression of that one drill through four different things, but we're generally getting at least like four to eight reps of each drill. And we'll try and keep it to where, you know, say we're doing a mirror drill. We want the offensive guy in an offensive position and our defensive guys in a defensive position. And at worst, obviously, numbers aren't perfect. It's not a perfect world. For, you know, dealing with football specifically, you're going to end up in the opposite role if you play special teams or anything along those lines. And it's just valuable, I think. Um, But so, like, within one of those sessions, say, like, we just started, you know, with a mere dodge. And the easiest way is if you go on our YouTube, you can just look up any of these things by name. But if you click on agility, we have, like, the mere category, dodge category, chaser, score, and every drill that kind of falls within that. Um, but so say you just did a basic mirror dodge five yards apart. I'm the offensive guy. I'm trying to basically juke you out and evade you. You're the defensive guy. You're just trying to shuffle crossover, whatever it is to stay in front of me the entire time. And so if we did that week one, that's our most rudimentary drill. Um, then we could, Within that session, we'd probably progress with our older guys, but with like our foundation athletes, we would stay with that drill and just keep it very basic. Um, but so if we progress that, you could go to like a mirror dodge guard where I'm on offense, I'm doing the same thing. Defensively, you flip around and have your back to me. So it's like a zone concept of basketball or soccer where you're always going to have an offensive guy around you 
that may be behind you and you have to locate them and still try and stay in front of them. Um, or it could go one guy's facing forward, one guy's backpedaling, and yeah, it's a sprint backpedal drill. There's so many variations just by changing the start position. Um, but like our our kind of last progression for that would our just our mirror category would be like a three on three mirror dodge, or you could expand it to any number you wanted. But if I'm the first guy in line on my side on the offensive side, and you're the third guy in line on the defensive side, you have two people in between us. And so it's one versus three, and it just works its way back to three versus one on the other side to where you're sorting through two people no matter what position you're in and reacting to your guy. So it just makes you kind of sort through the chaos, and then we'll do like an exit off of it so I can exit five yards to my right or five yards to the left on the second like go, so to speak. So I say go, you're reacting to me, but you're sorting through two people. Second go, I go right but the two guys in front of me went left. So you have to avoid that instinct to follow them and <laughs> kind of sort through things. Um, but then like chaser drills. So we'll just do like a forward chaser, put people in a box, you know, a 10 by 10 box and stay on that guy's hip the best you can. Uh, score drill. We'll just do a box again, 10 by 10. This line is the goal line. Try and get past it without getting tagged two hands below the waist. Um, and we'll do like an arc entry. We'll do random entries or we'll have like we have some um, other like two option score drill to where it's like a say five yards away. And at a 45 degree angle, we have two cones set up three yards apart. And then in a completely separate area, we have two cones set up. And those are like kind of gates, so to speak, that you're trying to get through or end zones, whatever you want to call it. And that guy has to defend two separate areas. Um, but just adding different elements to it, and, and really it's limitless. Like we have, I can, just within our mirror category, we have 52 different drills. And that's probably not even close to the number that you could come up with. Um, but it's just trying to progress in a way that makes sense to us. So we start very basic and then just add complexity through like I said, the start position, size of the area, entries and exits, obstructions, or change the rules, change the number of people. Yeah, one of the things I, I think when I when you were going through the the types, I think dodge was was one that I've um, I, I forget if I saw this in a Michael's Weefle video. But basically, we're just like it involves a ball getting thrown at somebody. <laughs> yep. Um, and I decided one day to warm up, just use that um, for my swimmers warm up. And I've never seen like that much excitement out of, <laughs> out of a warm up. <laughs> yeah. It was like kids on a playground kind of like it was, they were, they, but, uh, and obviously we didn't do that that much, but uh, that was it, the way that it engages athletes for um, is, is just incredible. I, I was going to say yeah. too, doing like something, even if, I feel like even if you'd never went that far down the rabbit hole, even just like putting athletes in a small box and having some sort of basic game-based outcome would be an awesome, like just warm up if 100%. nothing else. And like, like you said, in the dodge category, that's one of the drills we have is taken from Michael, which was like you throw a ball over the shoulder and he has to turn, locate it. Once he catches it and turns around, there's like three options for him to enter. And there's two people, and if they step into boxes one and two, then you have to go in three. And, like, just simple problem-solving stuff like that is very hard for people who aren't accustomed to doing it, and it's very fun. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I when I was saying dodge too, I in addition to that, like I, there's, I think if Michael had posted or somebody posted like a ball is thrown at you, like dodgeball style, like oh, there's the decision. That's even better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what we were doing with the swim that one day, <laughs> and yeah. and uh, but I was thinking too, how fun would it be to do the video of someone like running? Like, do you run differently if it's a person or if a ball is getting thrown at you and it's like that defensive? <laughs> like, how does your mechanics change when it's like a fight or flight? Like this guy's gonna hit me. Yeah. Um. To me that that stuff is um it's just all really interesting to me uh okay so is there nick like like standard uh, like you know you there's infinite um possibilities you know in 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 sport and then this type of work but do you have kind of like almost standardized um like situations if you will that you kind of really like are like go-tos to kind of pick apart a little bit or is it all pretty rotating and free-flowing through um so basically in every sport the one-on-one situations are usually pretty critical. So we kind of focus on those a ton and we'll try and make the scenarios as applicable as possible. So if we're working with our linemen, they do a ton of just mirror work. So offensive linemen staying in front of the guy in a really close space, defensive linemen trying to get around him versus our skill guys and like semi guys. We'll try and make scenarios more than drills. So like, Hey, here's a, you know, you have you're going at this angle, like the offensive guy's running to his right, and you have a kind of ten yard box. The ten yard box is representing there's a sideline, and if you cut all the way back across the field in football, you're going to get killed. So staying kind of in that domain and making it to where it's a somewhat realistic scenario. Um, same for basketball; it's all with your guards and forwards that are playing on the perimeter. If they can get more blow-bys and, as a defender, prevent people from blowing by them at the top of the key, then that's a huge deal for them. So for them, focusing on like the mirror drills and, again, tight spaces or larger spaces and any of the chaser drills where you're the off defender and you just have to build a man up with a person. Um, but trying to make the scenarios as close to the sport as you can without, again, it doesn't have to be you're not the sport coach, but making realistic scenarios to where it's going to have some carryover. Yeah. That, that integration of, of making it as close to sport as possible is the one that's fascinating to me. Like I know, uh, when I was talking with James Smith, the U of strength, James Smith, uh, yes. on the, you know, he had said in his situation, high school athletes, and this being fundamentally different than yours, like he's basically living in a world where these middle school or high school athletes are, are coaches are really dropping the ball. into the sense that they're, they're just running kids through canned, all these can drills and there's yeah. no creativity and it's almost like james has to pick up that basically like pick up where those coaches are dropping the ball and give these guys things that are going to help them um and now in your situation i'm, I'm kind of curious how you integrate obviously you're in a much more high perform in the terms of like being in a university environment it's more of a high performance environment if you will and like there's you know you have conversations with the sport coaches and I guess my question is, and, and I've, cause I've um, asked this of, um, it wasn't a podcast, but it was just an interview with someone who was working, I think on the professional level. And they had said, well, we don't do profession perception reaction on my level because I just leave that to the sport coaches. Right. So my question is, is what, um, on your level, what, what are you trying to overload? I guess you could say in the perception reaction space that they're not getting with, because they don't have the specific necessarily yeah. the ball. I mean, so, obviously they have a human, but what are you trying to overload? Yeah. And how do you work with the sports coach? If you say, well, that's the sports coach's job, I, you kind of miss me on that one just because 
it is their job in season. So like in season, it's not like I'm bringing guys in before practice and we're hitting a ton of agility work in the off season. Your goal is to prepare them to play the sport better. And if you think the back squad is doing that more than perception, reaction drills, then you're just an idiot. So, you know, if you're taking, you know, the off season, especially if you're dealing with football is a huge aspect, January, all the way up till August. If in that time you're doing nothing because that's what the sports coaches handle when they start in August, then you're just missing a huge aspect of development because guys can get so much better at the perception stuff, the agility based stuff, and just making them better prepared to play their sport come August. And then, yeah, you turn it over to the coach and in the off se- or in season, we're just trying to fill up those buckets that the sport coaches mm-hmm. aren't. Um, but in the off season, we're trying to make people better at their sport. Um, so what we're trying to overload is the things as close to the sport as possible, especially as we get closer to those things. So we'll start very general and then progress towards more game-like scenarios. But our goal is always to prepare people to be better at their sport. Um, that's why we've kind of chosen a name or whether it's athletic performance or sports performance. I just like that terminology a lot better than strength and conditioning where all we're trying to do is back squat and be able to run 300 yard shuttles effectively. Yeah. So yeah, well with that, it's, I mean, it's totally true. Like you think about like the bonder check pyramid, right? Like, and I think it's easy to maybe put your head in the sand at that pyramid, but it's true. Like in the weight room and I think here when flat said it, uh, he's like, if all we have is barbells in the weight room, then we're really, um, I think SPE at best or the, the third one down from the top CE yep. being the sport <laughs> SDE is special, uh, special exercises Then SP is, you know, and, and GE are general exercises. And in some sports, it almost might be a GE classification, depending on what sport you have, or you collision armor sport, whatever, um, yep. you, you know, and to, to work your way up that ladder and get closer to define, you know, the outcome, which I, I think if when in a growth mindset, a true growth mindset, I do think that is the outcome to not be satisfied necessarily. I mean, I do think being as best as we can in our domains is highly respectable. And I, and I am all for that, but to, to have more of an impact up the chain, you have to get into that space. Like it, and I, I was thinking yep. about, uh, it, it's like, it's almost too like, like in a sense, if it's off season perception reaction, and then you get into, you know, your full work weeks or in season, then it's almost like a same, but different too. Right. It's like, uh, like Dan John talks about an easy strength. It's like you, you're, you're not quite doing your sport, but you're doing, it's like, I don't know. It'd be like you could do volleyball and then basketball, or you do, you know, you're, you're, you play, uh, uh, basketball and then you go play football or something like that or football and then basketball, you know, you're, you're doing, it's like similar skills. They're, they're, specific but you don't have the actual sports stimuli too i suppose maybe there's something to be said about that and that impact yeah. like mentally yeah and like i don't know even if it's like you said the weight room just has minimal carryover compared to the on-field work like if you had to pick one end of the spectrum you would at least for me or anyone you know that's somewhat intelligent i think they would pick the on-field work of we're going to improve speed we're going to improve agility we can jump because speed will carry over to strength once you're especially you know if you're a novice athlete yes getting stronger is going to make you faster you're going to jump higher etc but those upper echelon athletes the weight room like mike boyle at the cscca he was like the weight room is basically to create body armor and make people less likely to get injured like on the field is where you're making people better athletes. There's not a whole lot in the weight room. Once you get past that initial stage of you can make anybody better, 
you know, when yeah. they come out of high school. Um, there's not a whole lot of transfer via barbells um, as opposed to if you're out there sprinting, there's a whole lot of transfer. If you're out there doing agility work, there's a whole lot of transfer. Um, and even like, you know, like you gave the example of like the volleyball player that plays basketball or, you know, if, if you have football players who run track and they play basketball in the off season throughout their whole high school career, those people are generally so much better at sport when they arrive than the person who's like, Oh, I only train football. And then in the off season, I just lift weights and I got to get stronger, this and that. They're usually just really stiff dudes who can't react to much versus the guy that's played basketball and he's been in a whole lot of different scenarios. Yeah. There's definitely something to be said for that. Yeah. Just different reactive scenarios. Like I, I that's, that's what I, I like thinking about like, and that's one thing that I think hurt me as a basketball player. Oh, I did basketball and track, which is an awesome combo for being athletic. Um, the, for me, it was actually the decision-making and like the awareness and decision-making that hurt me. So I think I would have, my school actually didn't offer football, but I think if they did, I, it was a small school and it was just kind of, but, but, uh, I think if they did, it would have helped me a lot as a basketball player from like a, just a decision and awareness perspective, you know, like almost more so than track would have helped me as a basketball player on some level. Cause my athleticism was not my linchpin at all as a basketball player it was everything else. <laughs> so yeah. Um, it's, it's just really cool to put that all together. I, I, what, um, do you have, no, I don't know if there's a good answer for this to this cure alluded to it. Um, and, and maybe some coaches are starting to see that with GPS, but like, and the more maybe fine tuned we get into it, but uh, do you have any sort of, um, I, I, I don't, I feel like I'm asking a question that almost nobody has maybe, but do you have like, um, do you have any sort of, um, quality improvement, like classifications at all or ways that you can, I, I, I know intuition, obviously like, you're moving better. Uh, quantifying, the, yeah. Quantifying uh, the perception and reaction. Well, I, I don't know if anyone does, to be honest, <laughs> just, I just no, I like, throw it out you there. know, as a staff though, something that we tried to come up with, like, you know, you have your five ten five, you have your three cone, which a ton of people have tested forever, but it just doesn't relate to agility whatsoever. Um, so the people have done like the Y reactive test, which that just seems like really hard to simulate effectively. And I don't think there's a single way like on the field as a test with the sports performance staff, there's like a good way to do it. Uh, but I was actually talking to Jay DeMeo and he had, you know, some, what I would say like quantitative data of they kept track of blow buys by their, hmm. their guards and forwards, et cetera. And as a defender and an offensive guy, and they had more blow buys on offense, they had less blow buys on defense after they had been training hmm. agility based stuff versus the year before is more program oriented. Um, I think that is a, yeah. probably the most valuable statistic yes. that you could possibly get. But I thought that was interesting. And so, you know, this is, this past year was kind of our first full year because I got here and all we had was like basically a seven week summer session um, prior to last year. But it'd be interesting to look at like for football, missed tackles and broken tackles because a lot of missed tackles aren't taking place because the guy's too weak to bring a guy down. It's taking mm -hmm. place because he's in a terrible position because he can't react to the guy. And same on offense, you're not getting tackled because a guy's just outwilling you most of the time. It's because you're not good enough agility wise or perception wise to avoid getting tackled by him. Um, so I think things like that would be a somewhat valuable tool. Um, you know, but I think if you're just waiting for, well, we have to have a test for it. 
it's it's not a test it's a tool which was again one of mike boyle's things he always thought of he brought up in his cscca talk of that's how he considered a vertical jump it was like a test versus it's a tool like just train jumping and you'll get better at the test Mm -hmm. yes exactly exactly (laughs) yeah i I think that's the one thing that kind of a lot of coaches i think the biggest things blocking people from the agility work is number one is just ego and obedience you know so Mm -hmm. many people are you know you have to do everything perfect i want everything to look exact and they're so scared of just free-flowing drills um and I think even with the kind of classification of these four things, it makes it a little bit easier for those kind of guys. Uh, but then the other thing is, well, how am I going to let the sport coaches know that we got better when I give them their testing results? As to where, for me, I really don't care about testing at all. We don't give out like a ton of testing data. Oh, here's how we improved in this and that. And our vertical jump went up two inches. Um, you know, I just don't think it really means a whole lot. I think it's just kind of our way of trying to justify what we do for a long time. Yeah, no, I, I totally see that. I, I totally see that. I was thinking too, I, I really like that blow by example because that's something that's simple and concrete and measurable, like to find, yeah. to find those, uh, those points. I, I, I think that's really cool. And I mean, it's and what's more specific to the sport, you know, <laughs> that's as close as it gets. Yeah. And yeah. When he said that, I was like, Oh, that's a genius idea. That is, it's, it's so simple, but it's so profound. And, and cause I mean, like, what would you rather have as a stats? If you're the head coach asking for stats on your guys, would you rather see how much their bench went up or how less times they got blown by, by, you know, the attacking player, the, you know, like (laughs) what matters more at the end of the day? I mean, it's, it's, um, I just think that's really cool where that's all headed. Um, and like, even like in the scientific community, uh, there's quantitative and qualitative research. Like why does everyone just completely avoid the fact that like qualitative stuff can work just as well. Just give out a survey at the end of each yeah. training session or, uh, you know, training cycle. Hey, do you feel like you've improved at your ability to react? Yes or no. If they all say yes, you probably improved. Yeah. <laughs> you do know, you need, do you need a research, you a, a research yeah, P value to say that? I mean, does it have yeah. to, does it have to like, yeah, I, w- I was I was I'm, I'm just finishing up Robert Greene's like laws of human nature book. And it was talking about how we almost we do swing the pendulum swings from qualitative to quantitative to qualitative to quantitative. And I think we're in this, you know, the big sports science, big data cycle where everything is like, oh, show me the research evidence based. But I feel like yeah. it's stuff like this where it's like, OK, like learn to feed in your intuition and understand when you're making a change and don't you know rely have to rely on a research paper to tell you on the right track it's like all this intuition based stuff i think is maybe open the door for the obviously day i think sports science is good like i think that's it's i think it's a good thing but i think the the door for strength and conditioning or sport or whatever the ter- the term is to use their intuition to create this thing that's going to transfer and offer a better experience is on its way i think what you're doing is a big fuel for that yeah, and I, I mean, you know, the data stuff is nice and it's definitely impactful. But like you said, there's always room for something qualitative and just intuition. Like if we all waited for everything to be evidence based, which some people are, you know, you'll just keep doing the same thing mm-hmm. forever. Yep. And that's fine <laughs> if you don't want to really grow and have a growth mindset. Um, but like the um, primers or potentiation or like whatever you want to call it where people have been doing stuff the day before a game. Now there's finally like research coming out, I don't know, 10 years later saying, yeah, that's pretty useful. And so all these people that have waited 10 years have been missing the boat. Cause well, I don't know. I never saw that in 
the scientific journals that that was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that stuff is funny, man. Uh, hey, uh, last question is just uh, just any thoughts on how the role of vision or vision training does that play a role in you guys' program with doing this stuff, or at least see where that fits in at all, or any thoughts on that? Um, I wouldn't say that we do anything like specific, um, but like even within um, which was taken from a Michael's wife video when he spoke at the Northwestern Clinic was just like within your performance prep if we're doing like a a shuffle at even a slow pace or fast pace we just go like an od guy Mm -hmm. and teaching them kind of how to chunk information like where to look look at the guy's hips if if they move he's moving versus looking Mm -hmm. at their upper body um we're not doing any like specific true like vision training but things like that are kind of as close as we would get of hey they're going five yards and you're just moving eyes on his hip the Mm -hmm. entire time we do a forward drill or a backpedal drill where you're just if he goes at a jog you go to jog if he stops you stop keeping your eyes on his hip um in the agility base as soon as we get into our agility work we're basically doing no coaching just kind of mm-hmm. letting them explore but within our performance prep we will actually like kind of coach and and give ideas of how to kind of chunk information together what you should be looking at and more of those cues but that's probably as close as we get to it yeah, cool. I was just curious. Yeah, I'm just. This is this is a domain that um, I'm I'm learning I'm learning more about. Uh, but it's just it's interesting to hear. It's just interesting to hear if people are using that, nizing it. I don't know. I mean, I I I'm not sure how many people are actually doing the perception action and then this formal vision training. And I, I yeah, feel like and that's like because they have those like lights where it's like, oh, I see a light and I hit it. I hit yeah. it. But like it goes back to the table tennis versus tennis from yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's really not having any carryover verse if I do an agility drill and I'm keeping my eyes on a guy's hip and, you know, I learn to just chunk information together and I learn to just react better because it's a skill like anything else. Like there's no way you can't become a better perceptual being um, by doing it. Um, I think those things just have a lot more carryover personally, but I could be wrong. Cool. Good deal. Yeah, no, I was, I was kind of, I was talking a little bit too with like some of the, uh, the vision chain, like, yeah, cause I don't, I don't really believe in those lights at all. Uh, I mean, I've never yeah. used them, but that doesn't make sense to me. I was talking more like the Z health, like uh, stuff I learned, like out of like Z health where it's like your eye, uh, eye positions and eye dish, I, yeah, uh, t- kind of confusing a little, like I confuse myself with that stuff all the time. I think it's interesting and profound. I just don't have enough time for it in my schedule to dig into that dive down yeah. that rabbit hole super far but i think there's a lot of interesting stuff there um i'm just curious though how that all goes down but it it sounds like you're doing awesome things nick and man i'm, I'm excited to get this together get a lot of show notes with the videos and all the things you're talking about and it just sounds like you're really on the cutting edge and uh thanks for thanks for taking the time with us today i appreciate it man no thanks for having me i appreciate it Thanks for tuning in today for another show. Uh, it's always great to be kind of tacking on to what I consider shows and, and guests that are really evolving and pushing the field forward, finding ways to deliver service to an athlete in a way that transfers and helps them to make the play better. Uh, it's cool to be strong, but it's also cool to read opponents and react accordingly. And being an athlete myself who lacked a lot of the reaction ability, the assessment to the assessing the offenses and defenses and all that. Um, these episodes are just really cool to me and I enjoy doing them a lot. 
All right, so before we get take off for the day, our sponsor simplyfaster.com supplies of high-end training technology. Massive appreciation to them as a sponsor of this show, so make sure you check their website out. Also, if you enjoy the show, please uh, do me a favor. Would really appreciate it if you left us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. Uh, finally, last, I'll leave you with my new book, Speed Strength is Out. We actually have a bundle on sale in the JustFlySports.com store with my two print books, Speed Strength and Vertical Foundation. So if this is the last thing you listen to and you want a little savings on those two books, um, it is out right now for that. So we'll leave you with that. We'll be back next week with another great guest.